0: And welcome to Bayou City. Turn and tell somebody on your right and left. Welcome to Bayou City. I'm glad you're here. And turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Verse 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So Jesus is walking through a grain field, probably a wheat field, and his disciples are hungry. And so they reach down and pull the head of grain off of that wheat. And they take it and they rub it in their hands. They blow away the chaff and they eat the grain that is left. That's the, the pure and simple picture of what they did. And here's what we learn from that simple action. The first thing in your listening guide, first, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. This is what he says in verse 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day of rest and reflection. It began at sundown on Friday and ended at sundown on Saturday. It was a very important command from God. In fact, honoring the Sabbath is the longest of the 10 commandments. And Jesus says, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And Paul addresses the same idea, but just in a different way. In Colossians chapter two, verse 16, he says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Jesus is the substance of the Sabbath. Now to the Israelites, the Jewish people that Jesus is living among and ministering to and was counted among, honoring the Sabbath was more than just a rule. Honoring the Sabbath was a part of their national identity. It is one of the things that separated them from all the other nations at that time. That from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, they did no work. They rested and they reflected. So that they would remember God is our provider. I am not my own provider. God even provides for me on the days that I don't work. You remember it was much more a daily bread kind of society. Not like ours where you work Monday through Friday and in Monday through Friday you have enough to live on Saturday and Sunday. They lived in more of a daily bread kind of society. So taking a day off of work for the purpose of rest and reflection was an exercise in faith and trust. And that's what the Sabbath is for. God, I trust you. Even though I'm not working to provide for myself on this day, I trust that you are going to give me all that I need. It was more than a command. It was a part of their national identity as God's people. They could trace this command back to the Garden of Eden when God Made everything that we see in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Paul says he's the substance of the Sabbath. Jesus did this with a few other things. The, the Sabbath, Mark chapter two, verse 28, we've already read it. The son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He also did it with the temple. Matthew chapter 12, verse six, I tell you, Jesus said, something greater than the temple is here. Than the temple for the Israelites, was of huge importance. They believed this is where heaven and earth met together, that inside the temple in Jerusalem, behind a veil in the Holy of Holies was God's earthly throne. He was everywhere, but he placed special distinction in that place where heaven and earth met together. And Jesus is saying something greater than the temple is here. It's the substance of the temple. He was the substance of the law and the prophets. Matthew chapter five, verse 17. Do you not, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus was saying, I am the fulfillment of the recorded word of God that our ancestors had, that our ancestors preserved, the law, the first five books of the Old Testament and the prophets, everything that came after that. I am the fulfillment of that. Imagine having that much audacity to say everything in there is for the purpose of pointing to me. Now, now here's why that matters, that Jesus is the substance of all these things. Because God made your soul and my soul to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And because he made our souls to hunger and thirst for righteousness, there is a dull ache in all of us Sometimes that ache is more acute. And we have those moments where we say, you know what? I need to get back into church. I would guess a bunch of us are here today because there was a period in our lives where we were faithful and we were always at church. Maybe it was because our parents did that for us, but we were there all the time and then we got a little bit of our freedom or we got distracted and we didn't come quite as much. And there was a moment where that ache inside of you, that hunger and thirst for righteousness said, I got to get back to church. Or maybe there was a time in your life where you looked at the things that you were doing, the decisions that you were making and I was making, and we said, "I, I gotta get my life straight. I am a hot mess right now. I think that's how God would describe it. I am just a hot mess and I gotta get my life right. Now here's why Jesus being the substance of the Sabbath and the temple and the law and the prophets is important because without Jesus, those things, according to Paul, are just a shadow. So when we have that moment, where we say, I need to get back to church if Jesus is not the substance of church. Or we have that moment where we say, I gotta get my life right if Jesus is not the substance of that desire. We just have a diet of shadows with no real food. Maybe you've been like me and it's been a period of your life where you've come to church every single Sunday and you leave totally unfulfilled where you're you're familiar with the Bible, but it doesn't captivate your mind and satisfy your heart because something has shifted and you're just trying to hold on to shadows, but you've lost the substance of Jesus. That's why a lot of people are disinterested in church because all we've ever served them is a plate of shadows, of just religion without the substance but God made you to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus is Lord over the Sabbath. He's the substance of the Sabbath. He's the fulfillment of it. All of it points to him. Second thing the story tells us is that Jesus is Lord over legalism. Let's read it again, verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, Jesus is getting ready to put them between a rock and a hard place. He's going to bring up a story from their own scripture. And in order to judge Jesus and the disciples, they're going to have to judge one of their own heroes, David. And he says, have you never read what David did when he was in need and he was hungry? he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence. The bread of presence was, were 12 loaves that resided in the tabernacle or the temple. They were ceremonial, and there was always bread on this table inside the temple, and they represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And he says that David ate this bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. In your listening guide, legalism is raising to the level of biblical mandate and command what God has neither commanded or prohibited in his word. Legalism is raising to the level of biblical mandate and command what God has neither commanded or prohibited in his word. Now the Pharisees, who Jesus is opposed by here, had a beautiful beginning. Generations before this, you remember the story. This is one of the arcs of the Old Testament. The people of Israel, they were very unfaithful. They worshipped all of these idols. They would look over at their neighboring nations, and they would say, well, they have a God of the harvest, and I'm getting ready to take a harvest, and it would really be nice to, to actually be praying to a very specific God, or uh, we can't have children, and, and that neighbor, uh, neighbor nation over there, they have a God of fertility, and it would be really nice to pray to a God who just has one specific responsibility, and they were tempted by all these things, and so they'd to worship idols. And God, out of his grace, sent uh, prophets. Now, sometimes prophets don't seem like grace, but they are a grace gift to us, and the prophets would come to Israel and they would say, you've got to stop. You've got to stop worshiping these idols. This is the message from God. You've got to stop. And they just couldn't do it. They couldn't resist. And eventually God allowed two nations, Babylon from the south, Assyria from the north, and they captured Israel and Judah. And they entered a period that we call the exile. Well, after the exile was over, the Israelites were allowed to return back to their home and in some way life returned back to normal and they actually found the scripture. They had lost it. That's how unimportant it had been to them. They had lost all of their copies and they found it. Imagine uh, the Bible being so unimportant to us that every single American lost their copy. That's what happened to God's people. They found it and they were both overjoyed and brokenhearted. They began to read it and weep and there was a group that got together and they said, we've got to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes To obey and be faithful so that this will never happen again. That group became known as the Pharisees. They had a beautiful beginning. But over time, they took God's commands and then they started adding some of their own. So by the time of Jesus, they're just known for being very legalistic. Yeah, this is what God has commanded. But then there are also some other things that we hold as in just high regard. So take... The Sabbath, for instance. The Sabbath was a, a law from God. And again, the longest of the 10 commandments. And the Pharisees, they did not want to break that law. So what they said is, we don't even wanna get close to breaking that command. So let's build a fence to protect us from breaking the command. And the fence for them was, you know, God says not to work. Again, what was the purpose of the Sabbath? The purpose of the Sabbath was to take a day off so that you knew I can trust God, that God is my provider and I can put my faith in him. But they turned it into something more. They said, well, here's the fence for us. Of course, we're not going to work our normal job, but we don't wanna do even anything that would have the appearance of work. So when the disciples come through that grain field and they just, as they're walking by, rip off some of the top, put it in their hands, rub it together, blow away the chaff, eat the grain, they were treating that because of the fence that they had placed in their own lives. They were treating that the same as a farmer in harvest time, getting out all of his equipment, going out into the fields, starting to cut all the wheat, bringing it into the threshing floor, threshing the wheat and taking it to market. They treated that simple act of the disciples just walking by, pulling off the grain, blowing it away, eating. They treated it the same as a far- farmer harvesting his crops. Now, clearly we know that that's not what God was after. But they had built a fence. And they lifted up that fence with the same authority as the commands of God. Now, lots of Lots of people do this. You know, it is a command from God that we are knowledgeable of the word of God, that we hide it in our hearts, that we know it, that we can pull it out when we need it, that it is what fills our minds. But you've maybe heard somebody say, well, you know, reading the scripture is like eating. And what's the most important meal of the day? Snacks, that's right. No, uh, (laughs) breakfast is the most important meal of the day. So people say, well, if God's word is our food and it's our sustenance, then we should read the Bible in the morning. And maybe you've met people. I've met a few people like that. If you are a nighttime reader and before you go to bed, you open up your Bible, they would say, oh, no, 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 no. The only time that is validated by God to read your Bible is in the morning. What good is it going to do to fill up your mind with the scripture and immediately go to sleep? Now, should you read the Bible in the morning? Absolutely, because the scripture says that you should read it when you wake up and when you eat and when you go to sleep, that you should meditate on it all day long, of course, but to say Reading the Bible is only appropriate in the morning. It's the most important meal of the day. What we're doing is we're building a fence and lifting up the fence as just as important as the command. Uh, Baptists used to do this with uh, stuff like dancing, right? Of course, there is a way to dance that totally dishonors God. Twerking, I think, Probably. (laughs) dishonors God. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not building a fence this morning. I'm just going out on a limb. (laughs) So, of course, there is a way to dance that would break various commands of God. But the old Baptists, they built a fence. And they said, all dancing is outlawed. So if you wanna get married in a Baptist church 20 years ago and you wanted to have that amazing father-daughter dance at your wedding, can't do it. Can't do it. Why? Because we gotta build a fence. We don't wanna break God's commands. So we build a fence and we honor the fence and we lift up the fence as just as important as what God has said in his word. I grew up in the 90s and in the 90s, there were these music subscription services. This is long before Apple Music and Spotify. You could join a subscription service, Columbia House, and I think is BMG or something like that. And The deal was you could buy one CD and they would send you seven CDs. There was some fine print, I think that the bottom that said that you had to pay for the seven CDs, but I was in middle school at the time. And I didn't know how to read the big print, let alone the fine print. I just read the headline that for one, the price of one, I could get seven. Even there was one that for the price of a penny, you could get five or six CDs. And so I joined one of these uh, subscription services because it was a way for me to listen to the music that I wanted to listen to, but not have my parents as a part of the decision-making process. So they were good God-fearing people, and I was a huge fan of West Coast hip-hop. I know by looking at me, that totally makes sense, (laughs) but I was. The very first CD that I ordered from Columbia House was Dr. Dre's The Chronic. (laughs) For those of you who don't know, the cover of the CD is a big marijuana leaf. It's the beginning and end of what I know about marijuana right now. (laughs) So I don't know if you're smoking it, but I would know if you're growing it. Orange, regulators, mount up. Uh, I had it all. Tupac, I had it all. All My parents don't know. I think they know now. They listen to the podcast, so now they know. So I had all this music. And when I was about 16, uh, you know that moment in the story of the prodigal son that Jesus is telling in Luke chapter 15 where he's, run off with his dad's money and he spends it on wild living and then all his friends disappear when he runs out of money and he has to take a job and it says he comes to his senses. Well, I had a moment like that when I was 16 where I came to my senses and I realized that even though probably compared to most people, I was a good, good guy and making even good decisions compared to most people, I came to my senses spiritually and I knew my heart and my mind were not aligned with God and, and I wanted it to be and when that happened to me, I knew that my music had to go, had to go. And so I got rid of it, threw it away. But then I built a fence. The command is Philippians chapter four, verse eight, that we should be thinking about things that are pure and lovely and true and all of my music was none of those things. So I got rid of it, but then I built a fence and the fence was only Jesus music is appropriate. So if George Strait came on the radio, George Strait goes down. Garth Brooks comes on the radio, Garth Brooks goes down. Oldies come on to the radio with their pure-hearted love ballads from the 1950s. Goes down. It's not Jesus music. Classical music. That doesn't even have any words. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta go down. It's not Jesus music. That was my fence. See, the problem with building fences like that and then holding them up to have the same authority as the commands of God means that eventually you're going to take your fence and you're going to apply it to somebody else's life. So Amanda and I have been dating for a couple of weeks, maybe a month, and I'm in her car and she's got her old school binder of CDs and I start flipping through and there's Backstreet Boys. Which concerned me for a taste in music, number one. I'm kidding, everybody loves the Backstreet Boys and In Sync. And I looked at her and I said, I thought you loved Jesus. You're clearly violating the fence. So she was so in love with me that she got rid of all of those CDs and she's still mad at me all of these years later. Because that's what, these fences do for us. It's only a matter of time before this thing that we do in the name of righteousness. We don't wanna break God's commands, so we build a fence. The thing that we do in the name of righteousness only ends up being self-righteousness because the only thing a fence is is just a way to put trust in our own willpower. These fences are not very strong, just illusions. You can get around them anytime that you want to but when we start to feel self-righteous, that this is my willpower preventing me from breaking this very important command of God, we end up being prosecutors of other people. You see in your listening guide that we are called to be prophets and not prosecutors. You do have a prophetic voice in this world. You are God's prophet in your workplace. You are God's prophet on your street, and in your family. But there's a difference between a prophet and a prosecutor. See, a prophet wants to get God's message across. Prosecutor just wants to tell people they're wrong. And we know the difference when we're operating as a prophet and when we're operating as a prosecutor, but building these fences for us and holding them up to have the same authority of God. Is dangerous and we end up treating people very poorly. Now, some of us may be thinking, well, but hey, the fences, they help us to be faithful. There's nothing wrong with, I mean, it sounds a little bit like maybe we're advocating for just do whatever you want. If your heart is right, just do whatever you want. And that's not true. Romans chapter 6, verse 15, Paul asks a rhetorical question. He says, just because grace is available, should we just keep on sinning? And he says, God forbid. God forbid that we would do that. Here are a few signs that we may have embraced legalism. That we've maybe built a few fences and lifted them up to contain the same authority as God. Number one, our rules become barriers for people finding God through faith in Christ. The best way to know if we've embraced legalism is to take a look at what Jesus says to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23 he gives seven woes to their legalism. Our rules become barriers for people finding God through faith in Christ, verse 13 of Matthew 23. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. So just imagine this morning that, that, that all of us together, who are Jesus followers, we just have one fence, just one. Now, the truth is, is most of us have a lot of fences that we've built, but let's just pretend that we just have one each, one extra non-biblical practice that we've lifted up to contain the same authority as God. And then you are an unbeliever, not a Jesus follower. Somebody invites you and says, hey, you need to come and meet the people at my church. They're loving, they're kind. I think that you would like it. And they get here, and not only do they find all of the requirements, real, holy requirements that come from the Word of God, they see all of our extra fences. And if you're an unbeliever and you're looking at a room of 500-plus fences on top of what God himself has commanded, it becomes a barrier for people to enter in. See, when people come to church, we want them to wrestle with Jesus first and then his word second. We don't want them to wrestle with all of our religious baggage. Number two, we disciple people in the rules and not faith in Christ. Verse 15, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. We disciple people in the rules and not faith in Christ. And you may say, well, hold on just a second. Again, are you sure that we are not advocating for do whatever you want as long as your heart is right? And we're not. I mean, you remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter five? He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. Then he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw away. I mean, you cannot find a more definitive boundary than that. So Jesus is not advocating for a do whatever you want kind of life and if he were here this morning and some of us would be able to lift lift our hands and say men and women you know what i I'm, i just struggle with pornography it's a part of my story it has been for a while or it's recent and I, I struggle with it and i struggle with it on my phone it's just there, available to me 24 hours a day i'm on twitter minding my own business i'm reading espn.com and i scroll down to the bottom to see the score and there's a link right there and and i go on that link and then on that page is another link and three links away and I'm suddenly looking at a picture of a naked person and now I'm looking forward to it. Jesus would say to us today, if your iPhone is causing you to stumble, throw it away. Plus iPhones aren't even cool anymore because my dad owns one. (laughs) Go to the store, get a flip phone, bring it back. My dad's been wearing the same shirt, pair of jeans and tennis shoes since 1993. He has an iPhone. They are not cool. <laughs> Throw it away. Go to the store today. I need a bar phone. I need an old school bar phone with no internet access. they I'll be like, but it's such a good deal for the same price. You can get a brand new Galaxy S300. And you say, yeah, but Jesus told me that if my right eye causes me to stumble, I gotta gouge it out. I gotta get rid of this thing. It's necessary and good to lay boundaries. And you say, well, what's the difference between a boundary and a fence? The difference would be a boundary is I gotta get rid of my iPhone. The fence is that if I ever own an iPhone again, I'm sinning, and God says no to iPhones, not just to me, but to all people. That is a fence. A boundary is I'm just going to do what's necessary to be faithful. Number three, we justify and judge with semantics instead of heart. These are signs that we've embraced legalism. Look at what Jesus says to the Pharisees in verse. Sixteen. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And they just get, these Pharisees, they would get into these semantics and they would use them to justify themselves. Oh, I'm not swearing on the temple. That's wrong. I'm swearing on the gold of the temple. That's right. Religious people do this. We use our words and phrases and sentences, our spiritual vocabulary to even justify bad decisions. We use our spiritual vocabulary to judge people just like the Pharisees. Number four, we overemphasize laws of action and neglect laws of love. Verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of law, justice, mercy, mercy, faithfulness. We see this in Mark chapter two, as it transitions into Matthew chapter or or Mark chapter three, because after Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees in the grain field, he goes into the synagogue and it says they were watching Jesus in verse two to see whether he would heal this man on the Sabbath who needed healing so that they might accuse him. They were overemphasizing these laws of action. They cared more about whether or not the disciples had a little snack in the field than a man who needed healing to be healed. Number five, we focus only on a clean outward appearance. Verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside they are full of greed and self indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. It's always easier to care more about the way that we look spiritually than the way that we are spiritually because we can measure that. We can measure that based on how people interact with us. If I give the appearance of spirituality, that's more important than, than I'm actually faithful. There's an old old school phrase that's very popular. You've maybe heard it. It, it says that uh, a Bible that is falling apart shows a life that isn't. How many of you have heard that before? Anybody ever heard that Yeah. A Bible that is falling apart reveals a life that isn't. The idea is that if you are somebody who's just daily daily uh, reading the scripture, your Bible's going to look all worn out and tattered and it's going to be falling apart and pages are going to be ripped out. And that means that your life is going to be a faithful life. A Bible that is falling apart shows a life that isn't. Well, if we care only about our outward appearance, Maybe you felt this tug before you needed a new Bible, or maybe you just wanted one. You wanted a fresh start. So you went to the bookstore and you got a brand new Bible, which is great. There's a lot of energy in its freshness. So you're marking up the pages for the first time. But then you go to church or you go to Bible study and you got a brand new Bible, which doesn't look like it's falling apart. And then you start thinking, well, the person next to me is going to see my brand new Bible and they're not going to know what's brand new. They're going to think maybe I don't read it. And so you're like, well, I got to rough this thing up a little bit. I got to beat it up and, you know, let me wrinkle the pages a little bit and this would be good. And wear it out and I'll just, I'll start marking up Ezekiel, you know, with, I won't even read it, but then I'll just flop it open right at Ezekiel and they'll see, whoa, man, that's crazy. I've done that before. Because that's what legalism is. Legalism says I care about the outward appearance and not the inward. So as long as you think my life is not falling apart, that's all I care about. I want to skip the step. To skip the step it's good enough for you to think that my life is together not that my life is actually together which is the same thing just in a different way that he says in number six our outward appearance becomes a cover for inward evil verse 27 of Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Don't let people's impression of you be permission for you. Just because they think that you are faithful, Don't let that be a cover for unfaithfulness. And number seven, I persecute truth that doesn't agree with me. And specifically, I persecute truth that doesn't agree with my legalism. Verse 29, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and you decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? What Jesus is saying is, listen, you take credit that you weren't like your ancestors who persecuted the prophets, but you're persecuting the prophet. You're persecuting the one the prophets spoke about. Anytime somebody comes and says that one of our fences is unnecessary, we rebel against that. Anytime somebody would come to say, you know, it's okay to read your Bible at night. You don't have to read it in the morning only. You'd be like, no, that's wrong. Anytime a Baptist ever wanted to dance, they got kicked out of church. Because when we've built a fence, we love the fence. you say, well, why does it matter? Why does it matter? Why does it matter? Because well, it would be a good thing for to have a couple of steps before sin. That would be great. Doesn't God, he doesn't want me to sin. So I build a few fences. Who cares? Here's why it matters. These guys, they missed Jesus. They built so many fences that when the real thing came, they couldn't get to him. Because there's this subtle thing that happens. We build the fence to honor Jesus and what happens is we only end up honoring the fence. We only end up giving credit to ourselves that we have the willpower to not sin. Legalism is dangerous, it's dangerous. And I would guess if you've been around church for a while, you, like me, are eaten up with it. And may God free us today. Well, how do I be free? Jesus says these words in John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus is pro-commandments today. So if you're here this morning and you're like, I love Jesus and I can do whatever I want, you cannot. According to Jesus, whom you love, you cannot. You cannot. If you say I love Jesus and I'm mostly faithful I've got a few areas of my life that I just kind of pretend are not there and I think he mostly does not care he cares very much Jesus is pro commandments but there's an order if you love me you will obey my commandments don't get it out of order so if you want to be faithful today don't build fences ask God to give you love Let your prayer be, God, help me to love Jesus more. Not God, help me to have the willpower to not break my fence. There's a difference. So if we wanna fight legalism, we fight legalism with genuine love for Jesus, not more fences. Let's pray. So that's what we ask, God, that you would give us great love for your son. And out of love, we would obey. God, the extra measures that we've added on to your commands, pray that you would free us from those now. Give us a faithfulness that's driven. can only be accomplished by your power and not our might. So we ask for it now in Jesus' name.